Warmest greetings in the blessed name of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. We welcome one and all to this um, three-week series on getting the most out of studying the Word of God. So we welcome friends and visitors who are in our midst for the first time as well. We hope that you will be able to continue to join us. Before we go any further, shall we turn our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, chapter 3, I'm sorry. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We shall read verses 16 and 17 together. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. Most of you already know these verses by heart. Let us read these two verses of God's Word together. Reading. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfectly, perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. May God bless the reading of his word. Let us turn to God in prayer. Eternal God, our gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we do thank you for this freedom of worship and to study your word in this land. We thank you above all for giving us your holy scriptures that is eternally inspired, preserved, kept for thy children, that through it we may know you, and by it we may know how we ought to order our lives on this earth to please you. And Father, as we come, once again we ask for thy cleansing, thy washing in the blood of Christ. Thou knowest wherein we have sinned against thee, in our thoughts, our actions, our words today, in the past few days. O Lord, search our hearts. Lord, we want to confess, we want to repent by thy grace, by thy strength, that this night of gathering around your holy scriptures would be a blessed time without any hindrance. And Lord, we come once again also asking that thy Holy Spirit will be our teacher tonight. Lord, stir up our hearts to love thy word, because in it we have eternal life in it. We will get to see you more and more clearly. Father, we pray also that you would help us to understand how important your word is in our lives, that we may treasure it, love it, and make it a very important daily part of our lives. Help us, Lord, over the next few weeks to learn how to study your word, interpret your word correctly, and, O oh Lord, above all, to apply it into our lives. So be with us now. Remove all tiredness, all distraction, the day of long labor in the world. Lord, grant us much joy in thy presence. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is our regular series. We have two twice a year. We have such series in the church as a combined fellowship. And um, how do we end up with this particular topic on studying God's Word? Well, just to help you understand, over the last two years, quite a few people have requested for um, a session or sessions on how to interpret God's Word. We often feel that we read God's Word or we study God's Word and we're not sure if we are reading and interpreting it correctly. And then sometimes we hear different views. How do we know which view is correct? So it is good that God's children desire very much to make sure that we understand God's Word correctly. Well, actually, 
Um, some of you are familiar with this word, it's called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the art and science of the interpretation of God's word, alright, hermeneutics. But this is going to be more than just hermeneutics. It is really about us loving God's word, knowing its importance, studying it, and especially how can we know how to read God's word, understand it in times when we do our devotion. The time of devotion is a time where we set apart um, specific hours of the day where we read God's word, where God communicates to us through his word. Those are very special moments. But sometimes we feel that we, because we do not understand certain parts of scriptures, then we feel we're not getting much of it. We get discouraged. And then sometimes we give up reading God's word. It should not be so. We have to understand how. By God's grace, we want to see how we can have a devotional life that is exciting. But there is work to be done. That is what we want to learn tonight. Alright, so this is how we ended up with this series. Let me explain to you, if you have not gotten a copy of the notes, let me explain to you the next three sessions we will have this week, next Friday, and then there's a break of one Friday, and then the following Friday after that break. Alright, so turn to your page one of the notes that is given out to you. Alright, so... What are the objectives? Well, actually, there's only one objective, so please pardon the typo. The key objective in this lesson is to, in this series actually, to help the hearer get more out of studying the Word of God. How can you get more out of studying the Word of God? What are the possible ways to increase your understanding of God's Word? And therefore, the excitement in God's Word working in your life. Alright, so that is really the key objective. How, what approach are we going to take over these few weeks? Well, there will be lessons like tonight, lectures, lessons on the importance of God's Word. We must begin there. We have to. Because until you see what God says about His Word in your life, my life, we will find that, we will even think that it's optional. It's optional, alright? So we're going to understand that tonight, set the foundation first. And then the principles of Bible interpretation. Okay, we want to study, but we want to interpret it correctly. That is how we're going to approach the, le the lessons. Then number two, the approach, introduce and evaluate some tools. Many of you ask about what tools can I use when I study God's Word, when I do not understand certain passages, when some passages are obscure or difficult, or historical background, I don't know what they are. And therefore, when I read, I do not get much out of it. And when I don't understand, I do not know um, what help I can get. Well, of course, you could ask um, the um, trained people in God's Word, approach myself, and those who are trained in the Word as well. So that's one avenue. But in your own devotion, how? What are the tools available? What about commentaries? Many of you asked about that. Commentaries. Can we use commentaries? Should we use commentaries? What are commentaries and what are their strengths and weaknesses? So the second part is really to understand their roles and their usage. Their roles and their usage. They have their place. We need to understand their place and how to use them correctly. What are the dangers? We will evaluate some of the tools. We will introduce some of the tools. And then number three, the approach is to practice. 
Alright, we study and then we practice. Practice the hermeneutical principles using case studies. I'm going to set some, um, what is often called the golden principles of hermeneutics, the golden principle of interpreting God's word tonight. Alright, we'll set some of those, we'll cover some of those tonight. And listen carefully to that part, especially because um, in time we will have some case studies. And then you practice. Okay, you practice and then you apply those principles and we will look at some of um, the commonly misinterpreted passages and then you apply and see what interpretation based on those rules you will come up with. Okay, it's helpful I believe because when you do your devotion then you know how to apply those rules. So over the next few session, session outlines Item 3, session number 1, tonight, um, we are going to cover about daily devotion first. Okay, some, um, not some, many of you have been asking over the years in, at church camps, the question comes up, um, I've received texts recently, how do I do my daily devotion? Alright, what are the approach, approaches available? So we're going to cover about daily devotion, um, specifically the importance of God's word in your devotion what it takes to grow in the Word. Now, second part is very important because many of you ask this question. I read, but I'm not growing. I read, I don't understand. It's boring. I'm not getting much out of it. Why? How come? There is a reason. There's a reason. I'll explain the reason there. So what it takes? What will it take? Are you willing? To do what it takes. If you want to have your exciting devotional life, exciting time of studying God's Word, there is an open secret. <laughs> Alright, the question is whether you want to take that route. Then number three, as I mentioned, the golden rules in interpreting scriptures. There are four very key rules. When you know those rules, it will, cite the, it will set the boundaries for you. And when you hear things, when you hear sermons, when you read books, when it doesn't sound right, you just apply these principles and then you come to, I believe, the right conclusion. Okay, session number two, next week. Alright, so next week will be very packed. So, um, come refreshed. Next week, schools of interpretation. That's the first thing I will do. What are the schools of interpretation? What do I mean by that? There's the school of allegorizing, um, spiritualizing, School of um, literal, lit taking God's word literally, literal interpretation. So there are various schools. And we want to see historically how did they come about. As far as the apostles are concerned, how did they interpret scriptures? What school were they of? And how did the various forms and approaches of interpreting God's word evolve? How did they evolve? What are the dangers and what we must watch out for? And as we go through that, I believe many of us will begin to realize that, oh, that is how I often interpret God's Word. Alright, so we are going to cover that, what is the right approach. And, and it is not simply to teach you, um, oh, these are all wonderful rules, and then you apply them, and then you feel very good, you have uh, uh, your head swells up, oh, I know all this now. It is not for that purpose. The purpose, there is a very critical purpose for the Christian 
to interpret God's word correctly. And we'll cover that. Why it's so important. In fact, I want you to think about why it is so important that we interpret God's word correctly. And God's word has only one meaning. God's word has only one meaning. Why is it so important that we get the meaning correct, number one? And why is it so crucial how we arrive at that conclusion? It is very important. It is not simply about getting, getting it right. All right. So think about it. Why? Next week I'll ask and see, see what you'll come up with. Why is it so crucial the way we approach and come to the conclusion, what is the correct interpretation? Why is that process extremely critical, not just to you, to Christianity, to Christianity as a whole? All right? So think about why it's so critical. That's why I want to cover um, section number two, session number two, um, item number one. That's an important reason. And then when it comes to daily devotion, I will also then talk about how to interpret genres of scriptures. Well, there are different genres, right? There are poetry books, there are historical books, there are um, prophetic books. When you do your devotion, how do you approach different genres or different types, different literary types? How do you approach them? How do you interpret them? There are principles involved, okay? So you're not afraid, hopefully, after that. Well, it's just going to be introductory. Let me, let me say that um, tens of hours are needed for someone just in Bible college, for example, to study this, and it, it takes a lifetime. Here, we are going to scratch the surface, but I hope it will give a good introduction for you not to be afraid. Oh, I think I better not read Zechariah. Ooh. Zechariah, prophecy, so difficult. I, I don't think I know how to interpret it. So for the rest of your life, you will never do book of Zechariah for devotion or revelation. All right? But once you understand the principles on how to approach them, all right, you find joy. You find joy. Okay? And then um, in your daily devotion, session number two, the last thing is how to draw lessons. Now, once you understand how to interpret God's word correctly, then you learn how to draw lessons draw key points that God wants us to learn. Okay, they draw lessons. So that is session number two. So session number two is going to be quite packed. Okay, and then finally, the third session, we are going to cover, with all this built as foundation, God willing, then session number three, we are going to look at commonly misinterpreted passages. Very common misinterpreted passages, or this is a type of Christ, that is a type of Christ, or this is about um, um, Christ, or this is about... God saying this and that. Uh, for example, like the book of Leviticus. Oh, whoa, Leviticus, Old Testament, full of, full of um, instructions. I don't know how to interpret it. And then some say, oh, God says, you don't eat certain animals. Like you don't eat certain sea animals because they're scale. And then they'll interpret what it means and all that. Is that how we should interpret God's word? Commonly misinterpreted word of God. Okay, we're going to cover some of those. Another very common one. When two or three are gathered in my name, I shall be in the midst of them. Hmm? We like to quote that, right? When two or three are gathered in my name, what is your understanding of that? We often think, oh, prayer meeting. As long as there's two or three, God will be in our midst. At home, I don't want to pray alone. Make sure I gather my wife and my kids. Oh, three, definitely. Oh, four, definitely even better. 
right? Many commonly misunderstood passages. How do we identify? How do we read and understand and interpret it correctly? Because it's very important. It's God who is saying things. You cannot make God say things that he did not mean. Okay? And then we are going to look at some case studies and then we're going to practice. I haven't decided how we're going to practice. Maybe break up to smaller groups and then you come out and present your answer on some of the difficult passages. Okay? Or I give you... Um, um, I know I say that no one will turn up that week. <laughs> Oh, I'll give you um, options A, B, and C. Which is the interpretation? All right. So some brave souls say, oh, "Okay, I want to try." Okay, and then others can help the person. Right? You want to put them into practice because as you practice them, it becomes real. Then when you do your devotion, you begin to now enjoy it. And with the different tools that are available, you know how to use them. It becomes very rich in your devotion, in your study of God's Word. Alright, so that's what we want to, by God's grace, achieve. Please pray that we will achieve our objectives. And one thing I want to make very clear before we enter tonight's lesson is this. This study of how to interpret the Bible, its focus is to help you grow personally. Okay? It is not, I want to repeat, it is not to teach you how to teach God's Word. Why I say that? Because sometimes, as they often say, little knowledge is dangerous knowledge. <laughs> right? So, oh, now I know hermeneutics. No. <laughs> we, be, we only scratch the surface of hermeneutics. But we think, oh, now I know. Now I can teach. And then we'll argue with people. Oh, this is the correct interpretation. It is not the, for that purpose. Understand? Okay, so please remember. Don't go, go away thinking that now I am a... Uh, um, qualified Bible college student to teach God's Word. It is not meant to be that at all. In fact, the more you, 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 you study this topic, the more you realize it is, we are so inadequate, the more afraid you are to teach God's Word. Right? Okay, so with that, logistics done. Let's turn to page number two. Let's turn to page number two. Turn to page number two. Now, the importance of God's Word. I must set this stage. Some of you say, ah, oh, we know all that already, but there are those who are still growing. Right? So please, be patient. Now, first of all, we have to establish the importance of God's Word. Why I want to say that? Because very often in our personal life, you may not realize it, but unconsciously, unconsciously, God's Word actually takes a very low place in our lives. We actually put higher value in reading books written by men. Ooh, this book is by Spurgeon. Ooh, this book is by so-and-so. We put more value on that. We, read, we spend more time reading literature written by men than God's Word. Okay, so we must establish the, how important God's Word is in the believer's life. Okay, so now, with that, I want us to look at, actually... Um, okay, let's look at this first. 1A. 1A. First of all, I want to establish God's word as authority. Authority. 1A. Now, let's read together. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Okay. Now, the point about this passage is this. Look at the first part. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. 
Why did God want to say this to mankind? All scripture, in other words, every part of scripture, all scripture, everything cover to cover, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Now, what is the meaning of inspiration of God? It literally means God breathed. God breathed. The word inspiration is God breathed. It is literally the voice, the breath of God coming out of his mouth. God breathed. This is what this is how you must see God's word. God's word is he breathed, he spoke it and he got recorded. Now, it is almost literally like that. I take a recorder, all right? You speak, and then I record it. And then from there on, there on, I have a copy of your voice, right? A copy of exactly what you said. Identical. Not changed. It's not like I heard you say it, and then I recorded it, and then I decided to play it out. That is called paraphrasing. I hear, and then I, I paraphrase. But God's Word, all Scripture, every part of it, is given by inspiration. It is given by God by Him speaking and it got recorded. So you must understand that. Now this is, it means that by the Bible is God's Word. Not the Bible contains God's Word. There's a huge difference. Why do I want to say that? Because today, Bible colleges teach the Bible contains God's Word. When you hear that, your alarm bells must go up. There's a big difference between the Bible is God's Word and the Bible contains God's Word. The Bible contains God's Word means the Bible, amongst other things, contains God's Word. Understand that? It means it contains other things as well. Now, this, the original Greek all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. The word and in the corrupt manuscripts do not exist. That is a very critical point. Because there are those who want to corrupt God's word, they take out they took out the Greek word and. Then this whole Bible verse means different to the Christian. It will sound like that. All, all scripture is all scripture that is given by the inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine. Now you look at this verse, right? pay attention. If I say all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof and so on. What does it mean to you? It means this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine. It means the Bible contains God's word, it contains parts that God inspired. Those parts are profitable for doctrine. Do you understand what I'm saying? It means not every part, not everything in the Bible is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. It means only the parts that God inspired. In other words, it's saying that some parts of Bible is inspired, some parts are not. And therefore, without the end, it means all scripture that is inspired, any scripture in the Bible that is inspired by, by God, that is profitable. The parts that are not, are not profitable. Do you understand? We think, ah, why is he talking about these things? We, we don't encounter this in our devotion. You think so? You think so? I'll show you next week. I'll just mention now. The last, the many verses in the last chapter of Mark, 
the last chapter of Mark. If you have studied Bibles, if you have studied Bibles, you will notice one thing. I'm still trying to establish to you how important God's Word is. Eh? You will notice from verse 9 to verse 18. In many study Bibles, it will tell you these parts are not supposed to be in Scriptures. And I'll read to you next week. My study Bible says something along this line. It says, Therefore, because these parts, they're not supposed to be inspired by God. Well, other parts are inspired. This part are not inspired. You should not build doctrines based upon it. You understand what I'm saying? Because of one word that changed, end was removed. And because of that concept, many critical Christians, but in Bible colleges, they say the Bible contains inspired, the parts that are inspired, yes, build doctrines, doctrines around it. There are parts that are not. Those parts you better don't build doctrines around it. In other words, don't build doctrines around this. Don't build doctrines around verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Don't build a doctrine around believing in God for salvation. Alright, so why I want to say this is because many of you, when you do your devotion, you are reading Bible study notes. We'll cover more of that next week. But I just want to let you know, there's one attitude that you must, be, must have that is very clear in your heart. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Every part of it is valid for my reading, for my study. Alright, so that is something you must establish in your heart as authority. You may, maybe we are from a um, church that has been teaching all this. It may sound like no big deal. But believe me, you will end up having an argument with Christians who would say that these verses are not in there, who would say that 1 John 5.17 is not there. You will end up with that argument. Now, first thing is to establish point number one. I want you to know God's Word is. The Bible is God's Word. And point number two. Now, I've quoted Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 1, paragraph 8. The Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek being immediately inspired by God, we have just said that, and by His singular care and providence kept pure in all ages, are therefore authentical. Underline that part. Singular care and providence kept pure in all ages, therefore authentical. The second point I want to make about God's Word is this. God, after He inspired His Word, He spoke it, it got recorded. Now, we understand from Scriptures, well, if you turn to Westminster Confession of Faith, every, every statement they have Bible verses to support that. Now, by His singular care and providence, means God personally, single care means God personally, deliberately, by His providence, means He acted. He didn't just by chance, He acted. Providence. God was in control. He acted to do what? To keep it pure. After inspiring, being immediately inspired, he personally intervened, deliberately acted, personally, singular care and providence, he kept it pure. What is the meaning of he kept it pure? Means he made sure 
what he spoke, what he inspired, remains pure, without error, nothing lost, nothing added, nothing contradicting. All right? So that must be very clear in your mind. In other words, here is the doctrine clearly of preservation. God kept, God preserved his word. There are those who, as we always know, believe God inspired, but God did not keep. Okay? Do you know why? Or your study Bibles at the bottom, they keep saying, oh, um, you know, this verse is not there, that verse is not there, because they do not believe that God providentially kept pure. They believe some have been lost. Impossible, they say, impossible that after thousands of years, are you telling me that every word that God spoke and Moses wrote, for example, or Paul wrote, we have it like in photocopied, photographed, exact, identical form? Oh, it's hard to believe. To those I ask this question, if you don't believe that, how can you believe that God will keep your soul from hell after all the sin that you commit, after all the things that you and I do? Keep me out of hell forever. Is it really possible God promised that? I believe that. How can you believe that? If you can't believe that God will keep his word pure, maybe he can't keep you too. So now, keeping pure, God made sure that it's available and therefore authentical. Not only every part in the Bible is God spoken, is every part of it is therefore authentical. Because God kept it, then every part is correct. This is another important principle because it's going to come in in your case studies. The principle that every part is correct. Okay? Because I'm going to show you Bible verses that contradict each other. Okay? And then you need to figure them out. But let me ask you, if God says every part is kept pure, and then you look at Bible verses, two parts contradict. Two parts contradict. What is your conclusion? Tell me next week, alright? You know the conclusion. But I'm going to show you verses and then you see. You see. Okay, so next. So that is the second point that I want to bring out. And finally, the third point about God's word is this. Point C. It is, it is the supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined. It is a supreme judge for all controversies. What does this imply? Anytime there is a disagreement in religion about truth, where is our reference point to take as judge? Means we refer to this authority, and if this authority says this, we have to submit. That is the supreme judge, right? Yes, the supreme high court. You go to the supreme high court. The supreme high, uh, the supreme judge say this is the ruling. Then that is the ruling. Now, which what, what is the authority for that final rule that will say this is correct interpretation or that is wrong? It is God's word. None other means it is not. Oh, you know my church teach this. Therefore. That is correct. No. Because um, this famous writer said this. Therefore, it must be correct. No. For the Christian, 
We must build this principle into our, our lives. Our immediate reaction is always, what does God's word say? Hmm? Not what does so-and-so say? What does this church say? What does that church say? Never that. It's always, what does God say? But the question is, how do you know? Because I say God says that, and then you say God says that, right? So it's gonna, that is where our hermeneutical principles are very important. All right? That's where we, want, we must learn that. Okay, so it's our final authority in practice and faith. Our faith, this is the final authority. Our practice, this is the final authority. Should I do this? Should I go there? Should I buy this? Should I do that? Should I listen to this? God's word, final authority. Okay, so these are the key principles about God's word that must be etched into our hearts once and for all. Okay, so now, and very quickly, point number two. Why do you want God's word for devotion? Now, that is how important it is. Point number two, thy word is lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. Now, this point is to highlight. Why did God want to say that? Okay, now we are going to also learn about um, metaphors and similes. All right, these are examples. Thy word is a lamb onto my feet. What does God's word mean? Thy word is lamb onto my feet. What does God try? What is God trying to teach us? The key focus is this. The key focus is that. Maybe I explain it this way. Which one of you, knowing that the world that that there are potholes, dangerous pitfalls, or you walk in the jungle and you know there are um, vicious animals lurking around? Which one of you would go into this pitch dark jungle without a lamp and just walk? Or walk out into the streets and you know there are, fall, there are places that you can fall and die, fall down a cliff and die, and you say, I don't need a lamp, I go. Which one of you would do that? None of us. We don't do that in, in, in our normal life. So here God is saying that this is what his word is. None of us would go out in the darkness where we know there's danger. The world is full of evil. Which one of us would live our life without God's word? Okay, that is his point. That is his point. So you and I must know the importance of God's word and, and why it is so crucial that you have your devotion life, reading God's word every day. It is literally having a torchlight for you walking in this world every day. Okay? So this is what God is trying to emphasize. And then very quickly, now, We've mentioned point B already, so I won't repeat. And point C, it is for us to apply into our lives. Studying God's Word is not to increase our head knowledge. It is to apply into our lives. I mean, example is another example that God has always said to emphasize how important His Word is. Now, we know in 1 Peter 2.2, and let me read to you, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow, Thereby, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow. Thereby, First Peter 2.2. 2. What is God again saying here about his word? Remember, this lesson is about studying God's word. Why must I study God's word? What's so special about God's word that is so important that I should have it every day? Well, we studied the first principle. It is light to guide you in a dark world. The second principle, it is it is food for you. You want to grow? It is food for you. 
Who, which one of you have not eaten for a week? None. Which one of you haven't eaten for today? Well, maybe some. But I'm sure you have eaten. Which one of us have eaten many meals today? Many of us. It's very important to us because we know we need that energy, we need, we need health. But which one of you have not read God's word today? Which one of you have not read God's word this week? That's why we don't see any growth in us because we don't feel our spiritual man dying. We don't feel our spiritual man so weak, so frail, and it's like a baby. Hmm? I always have this picture in my mind of many of us, me included. Um, when God looks at us, He's watching a whole bunch of adults in diapers walking around with, with milk bottles, hopefully, and some of us don't even have milk bottles. Right? God is looking at us and says, even just like newborn babies, the moment they are born, they will cry for milk. That is what we must be like, crying for milk. Okay? But later we'll see we need more than milk. All right? We will need meat. So that is the second reason why you must have your devotion, why you must study God's Word. You must. Unless you say, I don't care, I just want to be a stunted Christian for the rest of my life and go meet God like that. So that is the second thing. Okay? So now, with that as a foundation, I want to then talk about now, knowing that this is how important God's Word, then we talk about doing devotion. Doing devotion. Someone, well, two persons text. I thank, I thank them for replying. At least they give um, some inputs. And they ask, can you suggest what is the best way to do my devotion? Okay? Means my daily Bible reading, studying God's Word on my own. What is the best way? Now, I used to say this. I used to say, well, there are a few ways. Number one um, is by studying topics. Topics. Hmm? So like you say, oh, I want to learn about um, patience. And then in your devotion, you just go look up all the, all the verses on patience, and then you just study those verses on patience. Okay? Well, that's a possible way, but over the years, I realized that that is actually not a very good way. Um, it, had, it, had, it has its benefits, but I would say that really the best way is to, is to study book by book. Means, you say, all right, I will study the gospel according to John. Then I study chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and finish the whole book, book by book. It doesn't mean you finish John, then you must move to uh, next Acts. It doesn't have to be sequential, or I must finish Old Testament and then New Testament. It doesn't have to be like that. But book studies, you choose a book and then you study it. It has its benefits for a very important, again, hermeneutical reason. You study things in context. Okay? You study things in context. You see the bigger picture. And you see what is happening. If you study topical verse by verse, unless you're very experienced, you may fall into some problems in interpreting that verse. All right? So I would say that book by book is really by far most people feel is most beneficial to your soul. Definitely do not have this. Sit down, lick your finger, test the air, and then flip. And then, all right, here. Okay? And then you read. Okay, today I think God's word wants me to read. God wants me to read these passages. Hmm? In Singapore, Malaysia, they call it tikam tikam. <laughs> all right? Just, just, uh, just like a roulette, just test. That is the worst. 
Okay, those are the worst because um, God did not speak to us like that. Actually, those of you who do book by book, you always testify, right? Just that day when you do that passage is exactly what you needed for that day. You reach home and then, okay, tonight is uh, John chapter 9. And then you sit down and you read and, oh, tears will be flowing down from your eyes because you know that is exactly the comfort, the encouragement or the rebuke you need for the day. Book by book. God, and, and you cannot say it's by chance. Now, if you feel like that, all right, should I take this job? Hmm, okay. Mini, mini, mini more. Okay, drop the Bible. Okay, the point of finger. Because I point the finger. Okay, I read that. God say, take the job. Right? Then you take the job. And then everything goes wrong every day. Miserable. Very miserable. And then after that, you begin to doubt. Maybe that was accidental. Let me drop the Bible again and point again. All right? Then you never have that confidence and that faith in your heart. But when you're doing book by book, you know it's not by chance. You know it's not by chance. Just that day, just that time, you know God is teaching you certain principles and He will speak to you. Your God is a God of providence. He's a God that can control all things. That will happen. Alright, so book by book is by far the best. Look at um, approaches, study a book. One, uh, 1A1. One now, please do not replace God's word. I've said this many times. Don't replace it with RPG, read, pray and grow. Don't replace it with books. Don't replace it with sermon. Studying the Word of God is your primary source of devotion. Don't say, alright, I want to learn about this, then I'm just going to buy a book written by Mr. XYZ, and, then, and that's my devotion. That is not devotion, alright? It is God. You must read God's Word for God to guide you, speak to you, specifically for you. You read God's Word, you read someone else's Word, is what they want to say. Not God wants to say to you. So RPG, Read, Pray and Grow, they are very good sources, RPG, Read, Pray and Grow. For those of you who are visitors, we have Read, Pray and Grow written. Um, you can take a copy of that. And we do book studies there. Most, most of the time it's book studies. Um, sometimes there are some topical, but when you read those, it, they're written by people who are trained um, theologically, sound. So you read, sometimes you want to understand this very difficult book and say, oh, RPG has it. You know, many things have been researched. It's very sound, useful resource to augment your personal reading, not to replace. Okay? So please, remember that. And definitely not Bible 365. Bible 365 means you finish reading the Bible in a year. Right? Those of you who are you on, a, on this program, you know what it is, right? Oh, today, I missed that five chapters. Oh, tonight, I must read ten. And how you read ten? Hyperspeed reading. <laughs> Right? Okay, well, finish. Alright, I'm on track again. You find that you learn nothing. Now, I'm not against Bible in 365. Please do that every day. Keep that as a separate program. You know why it's very useful? Because you will, when you just read, you may not understand everything, but you just finish your reading. You will get a picture, you will get some, some learning, some gist of things, or some events, some occurrences, that somehow, oh, Moses did that. Oh, Peter said that. Oh, Peter went through this. Paul went through this. And somehow when you read your own devotion as you're going through it and say, oh, I remember this event happened. And this is what they did. Oh, this is the same principle here. It's very useful. Understand that? In fact, I'm going to give you an example after this because someone asked me about Numbers 20. How do I understand Numbers 20? Moses struck the rock twice. 
Why not three times, not, not once? You know, why, why was God angry at him? What's the correct interpretation? Now, if you do your Bible 365, you probably will have come across the answer. Okay? So Bible 365, very useful, but not for devotion. Devotion, you have to take your time. Okay? In fact, sometimes it may take a long time. Um, last time I did the book, of James. I think I took a few months. Alright? But in no hurry, because Bible 365, you do it. No hurry. You slowly learn it. You take your time to study, dig, and you enjoy it. Okay? So I'm not saying you must take a few months, but you read and you take your time to understand and research. That will help you grow. Okay, so that is what I would always suggest. Now, point number two, go through the books systematically. Don't jump around. Okay, so that's very important. Okay? Now, next one, the practical steps. So people ask, what are the practical steps? Now I know I choose a book. The first thing you do is pray. Pray before you choose a book. You finish, you pray and ask God, God, which book would you lead me to? You pray. Okay, God will bring certain books to your mind. But what is very helpful is this. Look at point uh, 2A1. Sometimes knowing background helps to choose depending on needs. What do I mean by that? It's very useful to know the books of the Bible, to have an overview of it. Okay? When you have an overview, then in your life you feel, now I'm going through this, this challenge in my life, or I'm in the midst of needing to resolve this thing in my life. Which book is most appropriate that would help me? Hmm? Having an overview of different books, and I'll give you some tools, some books that you can use to do that. Having an overview is going to help you. For example, you say, I need to, I want to know more about my Savior. I see so little of Him in my life. I want to love Him. I want to have a very clear glimpse, clearer glimpse of who He is, His supremacy. His glory, His works. I want to study that for my, my next devotion. Please regen people. <laughs> I want to know the supremacy of Christ. So, what would regen people choose? For example, straight away, we just finished right, the book of Colossians. And I kept emphasizing, when we study the book, you must know the overall theme. The overall theme was what? The preeminence of Christ. Right? So if you have some overview, you, as you read, or there are some books that will help you to have overviews, and say, all right, I want to know the preeminence of Christ. I don't want to just keep studying about me, 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 me. I just want to know about Christ. Then you study the book of Colossians. Right? Okay, so uh, informed choice. Informed choice. Okay, so number two. Now, if the book is short, and I'm, I'm giving you practical example because you asked for it, huh? and I think they're very useful for me at least. If the book is short, Example, a few chapters. Read through the entire book quickly to have an overview. Very useful. For example, you do Colossians. Just finish reading all the chapters first. Go through it. Finish it. And then you have an overview. Then you slowly go through, verse by verse. Because you already have an overall picture of what happens. Then as you read this, oh, I know why Paul wanted to say this. Because of that thing that is happening in chapter 3. That's why he's talking about this now. Then your devotions become very exciting. You now understand, ah, oh, now I know why Paul says this. 
So an overview is helpful. What did I make you do when we do Colossians? Practice this. It's a very good practice. In Bible college, we're always asked to do that. The moment we do a book, we're asked to do that. That is to write an outline of the book yourself. Okay? Pen and outline. Remember we did that exercise? It's for purpose. It's to help you do your devotion. So you read chapter 1 and then you summarize. Chapter 1 is about this. Verses 1 to what is about this. Verses, two to, verses 5 to what is about this. And then you pen. You have your own outline. Hmm? An outline. So you see, when you do your devotion, you don't really need to rush. You can begin by reading all the chapters first, happily, and then you can sit down and say, all right, for the next few days, I want to pen outlines. You want me to check? You can, you can give it to me. I can help you check. Give you inputs. But it becomes your personal, it's something that's very personal to you. That's why, you know, in DHW, we always make you go through topic sentence, right? Topic sentence and um, applications. Why we keep making you do that is to make you practice reading the Word of God, not, not you know what it's like, um, you're, you're lost in the forest and you don't see the overall forest. It's good to come up, see the overall forest, and then go back in again and navigate. All right, so enjoy it. It's really very, very fun. And you really learn more. There are tools to help you if your first few times you're not familiar. I'll show you some tools next week, all right? We'll point you to some tools that you can use to help you do that. So, so devotion is very exciting. You can do it with your spouse, with your family. Okay? Now, the next thing. Now, what happens if it is the book of Numbers? <laughs> oh, so many chapters. What are you going to do? You don't have to... Finish up. You can read a few chapters. I do that. All right. I'll read a few chapters ahead, have some picture, and then I come back again. Okay. Some of you finish. I was really so impressed. You know, someone says, "All right, you're going to do numbers." And the next day, I knew the person finished the book of reading the book of numbers because we are preaching it on Sunday. Because the person wants to have an overall picture first. Those that put in all this effort will benefit. Okay. So try that. Try that, and become it becomes a routine for you. Now next, point number, um, actually I cover all those, okay? So now, now, you don't have to finish an entire chapter in one reading, really. Or you can do two chapters in one reading. Alright, the next thing I want to encourage you to do is this. Turn to page number three. Keep a journal. Keep a journal. Write what God speaks to you in your devotion. Write. Keep a journal. Um, someone just shared recently, which was a very pleasant surprise. Uh, sister said, oh, you know, I'm so afraid I might fall. I said, okay, why don't we um, do our devotion together? And then we keep a journal, and then we share with one another. Uh, keep each other on our toes. Share with one another what we have learned from God's Word. Keep a journal. In fact, when you go back and you look back and you write, and, and you read what you write, you will find yourself encouraged once again. Keep a journal. Not, not compulsory, but I think it's something useful. Um, you know, olden days, you have dust. the ladies have nice books with ribbons on it, that kind of thing. Mine is very boring, it's just computer. <laughs> just word document. Right? I keep some of this for myself. Okay, you can keep however you want it. Now, next, and this is important, point number nine. Don't just read for self-application, but learn about God. What do I mean? I think sometimes you feel that your, your devotion is boring because you're reading God's Word with the wrong 
purpose. You just keep saying, okay, what can I, what, what can I learn from myself? How is this going to benefit me? How is it going to help me go through today? It's very stressful at work. What is God going to say to me to prepare me to face the difficulties with my children, with my spouse, with my colleagues at work, with schoolwork? Then we read Leviticus, all the sacrifices. Nothing for me. Okay, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, finish it. Right? That's why sometimes you my devotion is boring. I'm not getting anything. Because you're doing a devotion with the wrong objective. The Word of God, what is the purpose of the Word of God? The purpose of the Word of God is to reveal God to you. It's God's gift to mankind to know Him. That is God's Word, first and foremost, that man may know Him. He reveals Himself through His Word. That in knowing Him, you will know yourself. That in knowing Him, you will see the world differently. That in knowing Him, you will change your own life. It is not about you first and foremost. Alright? That's why when you study Colossians, before Paul talked about husband love your wife, before Paul talked about um, obey your masters, and before talk, Paul talked about all these things, he first presented Christ and his preeminence. Because he's trying to tell the believer this. When you see Christ in all his fullness, his glory, and his beauty, you will see this world differently. You will wonder why you're pursuing the worldly things that you're going after that's temporal, because now you see Christ. Right? So seek to see God in his word. Then you will see that you enjoy your Bible study or Bible reading a lot more. Alright? So remember that. Next is this. So like for example, see his character, his working, how does he work? You see how God deals with his children, the children of Israel. When you see how he works, then you begin to reflect. This is God, the covenantal God. How faithful he is despite his children's unfaithfulness. It's nothing that is directly related to you for the day, but you have learned about God's character. And then when you go to work, all of a sudden it kicks in. God is a faithful God. Even I go through all these difficulties in my life, it may seem, it may seem to me that like God is not around, but I just read this morning God's dealing with the children of Israel. He's a faithful God. Right? So learn about God and you'll find answers. Not try and find answers without knowing God. Okay, so now, next. Always learn to pray before and after reading. Why? Because you cannot understand God's word by your own flesh. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. You must depend on Him. Alright? Just like when you pray before you start choosing a book, every time you do your devotion, you start praying first. Ask God, God, please, show me from your word who you are. Show me from your word what you desire of me. Show me from your word. You must ask God, the Holy Spirit, to help you understand. Okay? So you must do that. But we are going to answer this question. Eh? You say, I prayed, and then the Holy Spirit told me this. <laughs> and then the this is, the Holy Spirit told me to marry an unbeliever. How do you answer that? All right? You know the answer. But we want to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in your Bible interpretation. We must have the correct understanding of His role. Okay? So learn to pray. And then you finish, you pray. Again, 
thank God for what you've learned. Because you just rush close and then it's like just reading, like watching news and then okay. There's no relationship with God. And then you can sing hymns if you desire. I personally like that a lot. Um, hymn books are on on internet now, most of the hymns. You can just log in, sing a hymn, sing hymns. But don't sing hymns for 20 minutes and then read God's word for 3 minutes, alright? Okay? I'll be honest, I did that when I was a young man. <laughs> well, I just love to sing, 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 sing hymns. And then devotion was very short. Uh, it's about God's word first, alright? Sing hymns. It stirs your heart. It drives you closer to God. Now, someone asked me this also. I think it's a very good question. He said, you know, I used to feel the closeness with God. I used to go to parks, um, set apart time, and then go to somewhere secluded. I read God's word. Um, I enjoyed those times, you know. How do I rekindle those? Um, should I do that? Well, my answer is this. It is very good that we set apart time. Okay, God intended for us to set apart time to study His Word. Um, so we kindle that love by doing that. Um, some of us reach work early, park your car in the car park and do your devotion again. So, steal time with God. Steal those precious moments with God. Right? Many of us steal those precious moments with loved ones, right? Okay, I'm going to call my wife and just talk to her for a few minutes or call my husband or call my child. Talk to stealing moments. Right? We, we treasure that. It's good. But, but then again, don't be discouraged if you are not doing that, you don't have time for that because our devotion is not dependent on place and feelings. The Apostle Paul for the later part and most of his life, did his devotion next to rats, human feces, in pain. That was most of his last part of his life, right? He had no park to go to, but he was in prison, bad prisons. All right? So don't let it be dependent on that. In other words, don't yearn for your devotion based on those feelings. Okay, so that's what I'm trying to say. But it's good if you can, please do. And then finally, take devotion as an exciting time to learn about God and His relationship with His children. Do you see your devotion as that? Don't see your devotion as it is duty and I must do it. But I ask you this. If you don't feel like you're doing your devotion and it's a duty, should you still do it? You still need to do it. You know why? Because it is only when you do it, then your love begins to rekindle. <laughs> Alright? If you succumb to the flesh, my flesh don't feel like doing it. It's a duty. I shouldn't do it. Then you never do it. Because let me ask you, how many things in your Christian walk that God wants you to do, you want to do? <laughs> Most of it we don't, right? So it's when you're doing it, then slowly, slowly, it grows. The love. The desire grows, okay? But now I want to come to this important point, okay? Um, and how can this occur? How can there be that joy, that, that excitement, and as you study God's Word, it comes alive, and there's, there's joy in studying it. How? How to have that? We all keep asking that, okay? How? I will skip to... I will skip the... I will skip this part and actually go straight.
to point number two on page three. Okay, by the way, it's just very quickly here. Um, point one is really to emphasize if you read God's word and seriously in the last few years, you cannot understand a single thing. Then you come to church, you listen to sermons, you cannot understand a single thing for years. You must check your salvation because a born-again believer, it's only the born-again believer that will begin to ex- understand and accept God's word. All right? If you find that you cannot understand anything, and in fact, most of, sometimes you hear it say, no, I just don't like this. This is going to not be part of my life. No, no. The born-again believer, let's read in 1 Corinthians 1a, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Is that why? Is that how God's word appear to be to you? Neither can he know them. You cannot understand. They are foolish and they cannot understand because they are spiritually discerned. means you do not have the Holy Spirit. You cannot discern. Absolutely cannot understand. Okay, so the prerequisite, you must be saved. There must be humility. I'll talk about this in a moment. And there's a commitment. Okay, so the next section is going to be about commitment. Commitment. Please read with me 1C. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, directly dividing word of truth. Your secret to having an exciting, enjoyable study of God's word is in this verse. Study. Study to show thyself approved. I will explain why. Now this word study, as some of you have understood in the last BBK lesson, this word study, don't just read it and study, okay, study. Now, the Greek word in this word study has a picture in it that is, it means you are putting a lot of labor, perspiring, laboring, um, it's costing you, it's, you're, going, you're enduring, there's pain, there's a challenge, and you're persevering. Ah, the next time you read study, that picture must go to your mind. Students, I don't think I need to ask you to imagine too hard, right? Think of the topics in school that you have to do. Oh, labor, reach home. I don't know about here. Reach home, got to do homework, and then got to listen to this, got to do that, and then go to school, got to answer questions, and then come back. Oh, there's exams. Is it easy? It is not. But you know what it means. This is that word study. Effort. Deliberate. Pouring in energy. Not giving up. All right? You say, oh, don't sound very exciting. <laughs> right? Don't sound very exciting. Well, listen on. Okay, so first of all, I just want you to know this word, study. To show thyself approved unto God. To show thyself. It is for you, personally. Not to show off. It's to show thyself approved unto God. Means, God will be pleased with you. Okay, it is not to show off. It is not to show man how much you know. I take this course, I take that course, I do Zechariah, I know prophecies. It is to show thyself. It's you yourself having then understood God's word. And finally, need not be ashamed. Means, you do not interpret God's word wrongly, and also in your life, you are living rightly. You have nothing to be ashamed before God. Rightly dividing the word of truth means then therefore being able to interpret God's word correctly. Now, I'm tying this together for you. Why is your, why is your devotion, why when you read, I don't understand this, I don't know what is this, oh, this is just words to me. I get a little bit here and there. How come they are so excited when they study God's word? The answer is here. Are you putting energy? I'll tell you where to put your energy soon. Number one. 
Number two, if you do not put energy, you will not be able to rightly divide the word of truth. In other words, when you read God's word, you don't know how to divide it, means you can't interpret it, you, don't, you are not able to draw um, lessons from it, you're not able to partition it and see God's word taken apart. You cannot. And therefore, our, our devotion are just words, that's all. You want to rightly divide, you want to be able to just read this verse. Wow, so exciting. Wow, I noticed that. You notice many of your ex-questions, I purposely ask you questions like that. It's to make you think and to make you draw and hopefully and when you found it, you got very excited. Someone told me that she gets very excited. She said it's more fun than doing homework in school. I said, wow, when I found the answer, I'm so excited. Remember I asked you like, who was with the Apostle Paul? And then some would say, oh, it is um, Archippus. And Archippus and Paul. Is it really? I wanted you to read. Luke say, Luke, Archippus was with us. It means Luke was there. Right? See, so little things that if you pay attention, then you realize, oh, Paul had Luke and Archippus with him. How exciting. Two persons. And it was well, Luke, for nothing, he travels with Paul. And then remember, I make you find out about Archippus. Why? So that when you read your devotion, Archippus, I can't even pronounce that name, Skip. I'll show you some tools when we get to tools. There are tools for you to use. Then say, Archippus, I want to know Archippus. There are tools for you to use. Wow, then say, oh, Archippus everywhere. Wow, what did Archippus do? Then suddenly that one verse explodes in your mind. Wow, Archippus. He went on board with Paul when he was nothing wrong with him. He just decided to be a prisoner with Paul. Then you read all those things. You see what I mean? There's energy involved. There's carefulness involved. But there's more. All right. So now you want. So I'm just giving you a prelim. Why is our devotion boring? Because we are not putting in effort. They say, all right. I want to put in effort. Where should I put in my effort now? The next section. Now, okay, four areas. Let me just very quickly read to you. 2A, you must have a good general knowledge of God's Word. Okay? B, you must have sound doctrine and theology. Okay? Um, C, well, C not for you, but I want to explain a bit of that. Bible languages. Okay? Now, um, so now I'm going to tell you, you must have a good knowledge of the Old Testament and New Testament introduction, genres of the Bible, sorry, page 3, 2a. Genres of the Bible, themes of the books, and then sound, sound doctrine, you look at page 4, um, you should know Westminster Confession of Faith, for example, you must know systematic theology, um, and all those things. Then they say, ah, all those things. Those are for Bible college students, not for me. I just want to read and find it very exciting. Why Paul have to say, study, then you can rightly divide, put in effort, is because these things don't come until you have a sound grounding. Now, I want to address those who basically say, all these things are not for us. These are for um, mature Christians. These are for um, those in Bible college. These are for preachers. These are not for lay people like us. We don't need to know all these things. Come on. I want to point you to the same attitude that the children of Israel had. 
that resulted in their becoming less and less interested in God's word. They found it not refreshing at all. They left God's word as a result and they ended up in Babylonian captivity. It was the same spirit. These things are not for us. Hey, prophet, prophet Isaiah, shut up. These things are not for us. Tell us things that are more for lay people. That was their attitude. How do I know that? I printed for you, page 3. You have to study. Don't develop the attitude of the children of Israel. Isaiah 28, 9-14, page 3. Okay? Now, listen to God's word. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? You never thought there's this word in the Old Testament, right? Doctrine. Whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from milk and drawn from breast. In other words, he said, the prophet said, who, who shall I teach? Say, those that are, who shall I teach doctrines to? Those that are weaned from milk and drawn from the breast. In other words, no more childish. Right? They have, they have taken milk. They are growing. Then verse 10, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people, to whom he said, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. You get it? So how you want refreshing? You want rest? You want that refreshing and restful Bible study? Refreshing personal devotion? You want to have that? You want to have that? Two conditions. Number one, wean from milk and drawn from the breast. In other words, you have been taking milk. You're ready to grow. But many of us hardly take milk or always stay with milk. What does Paul say? Milk for children. Not that milk is not important, eh? but it's always you're staying at that level where you are very shallow in God's word. You're just taking milk like a child. You must grow to meat. That's the first condition. The second is this. So for you to grow from milk to meat means there was work involved, right? The Christians, they studied and then they grew and then they can move from milk to meat. Now next he says, for precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. In other words, instructions upon instructions. So he gives you instructions. The prophet says, who, who can I teach? How can they get refreshed? Instructions upon instructions. Line upon line. Line upon line means slowly, step by step. No jumping of steps. Patiently. Cannot think, I, I want shortcuts. No shortcuts. Line by line. Precept by precept. Instruction by instruction. Theology by theology. Doctrines by doctrines. The fundamentals. And then he says, Verse 10, here a little and there a little. What is he saying? You see, some of the people say, ah, we heard that before. Hey, hang on, hang on, this is too difficult. We don't want. So what they hear before, they don't want. What they haven't heard before, they also don't want. They just keep rejecting. So here the prophet said, little by little. You get a little bit here. How many of you have, is, this is your fifth time attending BBK. I think some of you, it's like that. It's your fifth time attending BBK. But invariably, I don't know about you, even for me, when I teach BBK, Basic Bible Knowledge, every time I teach it, I see more truths. I, I see truths more clearly. Some of you have given that feedback, that's why you keep coming back. Say, yeah, this time I, I see it even more clearly, more clearly, more clearly. I see God's covenant so clearly now. 
every time a little bit here, a little bit there. That's why some of you, you, you study and say, oh, I study systematic theology, study about God, I don't know what I'm getting out of it. You can't say you have gotten nothing. That's why we always encourage you, take all these courses, because you're getting a little bit, a little bit. Don't get discouraged. Don't feel that, how come I took this course? How come I attended DHW for X? How come I attended, but I'm not like growing in leaps and bounds, and then my devotion is not like exploding with fireworks. How come? I want to give up. No, the, apostles, the, the prophets say, line by line, you have to be patient. Little bit here, little bit there. You're going to learn a little bit, a little bit. They're all going to add up one day. In fact, learning is going to be a lifetime. It's going to be a lifetime. So this is what he's saying. But there were those. So now, I emphasize, verse 12. He said, this is the rest wherewith we shall cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. You must put in that effort. You want that refreshing? You must put in that effort. I'll show you where the effort is to be. Yet, they would not hear. Very sadly, there were those that were like that. I don't have patience for doctrines. I don't have patience for, for um, what, study life of Christ? What, study, you mean study Acts in such details? You mean Colossians, we studied it for how many months? I can't remember. I don't have patience for this. There were those like that. And then what, verse 13? But the word of the Lord was, upon, was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken, and so on and so on, and, and snared and taken. Now, what is this? Now, this is mockery, verse 13. It's mockery. The word, but the but, but, verse 13. Instead, the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here, you get it? The, apostle, the prophet say, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, little here, little there. And then, how they answered? Precept upon precept, line upon line, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, preacher is saying that again. Yeah, Christ is this. Ah, the deity of Christ. Ah, we keep hearing it. This is what he's saying, verse 13. They just mumble back. Ah, precept upon precept, line upon line. Just mumbling, mumbling back. All these details. Please, Isaiah. All these details, don't bore us with them. Give us the exciting stuff. They never got to learn God. They never got to learn about God. They just kept on milk. Before you go to milk, you have to go through this process. And as a result, what happened? They fall back, broken, snared, taken. And look at verse 14. Wherefore hear the word of the Lord. What, is, what does God call these ones that mumble in verse 13? Ye scornful men. Ye scornful men. They scorn. They scorn being taught. They scorn going through all these details. They scorn those that were willing to go through all this. So please, this is not a new behavior. But if you want to, if you're willing to study, you'll be able to rightly divide the word of truth, you'll be excited in studying God's word. Now, so now the question is this, what do I put my effort, what are these line by line, precept by precept, what are they? Now, these are very typical, very solid, useful, foundational truths. You build on this. You, when you have this, when you read the Bible, a lot of aha is going to happen in your mind. I get texts from some of you, 
who study God's word diligently, you know today we study that, and then you even take photograph of your, your notes and send it to me. See, 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 this, see. She's so excited because ah, we just learn about the deity of Christ. Ah, then you see here, I see there, oh, we learn about millennium, the thousand years. And then look, Christ said this. It points to millennium. See, everything comes together. But when we don't go line by line, we think all these things are meaningless. We won't get this excitement. Okay? So now, number one, point number two, A, page three. General knowledge of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament introduction. You must have that. That's why these are offered. And these are offered to some extent. All right? Introduction, they're just introduction. The genres of the book, there are different genres, narrative, prophetical, poetry, epistle. We'll cover that next week, what they are, how to approach them. You must have an overall view of them. Themes of books, very useful to know the themes of the books. If you don't, you will read and be lost in the details. All right? Now, this is not overnight, it takes effort. Okay, next, sound doctrine. Sound doctrine, Westminster Confession of Faith. Page 4, Westminster Confession of Faith. I love to teach this, but I do not know how many would be excited about it. But I believe when we go through it, you will be excited. Right? Now, Westminster Confession of Faith paints wonderfully in detail, very scripturally, who God is. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. I always want you to memorize that. That's the Westminster Confession de definition. And then when you memorize that, every time you do your devotion, you're going to see another part of God's character as you memorize, appearing and appearing. It's beautiful. All right, so please, um, this is where you are going to get very excited. And then you study about sin, study about faith, the Trinity. Hmm? The Trinity. So yeah, okay, it's always Trinity, always Trinity, always Trinity. Trinity is always under attack by the cults, by the Muslims. You must know it well. That's why we keep teaching it. And then as you read the Word of God, the Trinity becomes more and more alive. And then you see the glory of God. So all this, they, they must be a very important part of your life. And then next, the four major parts of systematic theology. Now, I put some hours there. The reason is this, systematic theology. As, just to give you a glimpse, for Bible college students, minimum 256 hours were spent studying systematic theology. Why? Because it is a very crucial, fundamental um, grounding that the Christian must have. If the preacher doesn't have that, he's not going to be able to bring these thoughts across to the congregation. Alright, so now there are four big areas, four key areas. Theism, that is the study of God. Anthropology, study of man. Soteriology, the study of salvation. Do you know how you're saved? The reason why many of us can't preach the gospel is because we, we are not sure how we are saved. We are not clear about the doctrines of salvation. You know, when you, we, when you understand the soteriology, the doctrine of your salvation, you are going to see. You just said, God loves me. Therefore, he saved me. You're going to see it in a very different light when you understand how God saved you. Soteriology. 
Most of us, I don't care. As long as I'm safe, I'm going to heaven, I'm done. I don't care about, please don't have to describe to me what propitiation is, what um, redemption is, what justification. Don't have to tell me all this. I'm going to heaven, that's all. Oh no, when you understand justification, you're going to understand the holiness of God. Then you're going to understand what it took for him, what it meant when he said he saved you. That's soteriology, eschatology, end times. We studied that in detail, end times. So all this must be something that you're interested in because when you're interested in, you study these things, it's going to grow. I'm going to introduce you to the book, right? We know that the book that we finally got um, to have reprinted. Um, This is not for... Uh, This is theology for every Christian. So, oh, theology, not for me. Doctrines, worse. Theology, but notice it says theology for every Christian. Right? We know a systematic theology in the Reformed Premillennial tradition of um, Oliver Buswell, written by Timothy Toe and Jeffrey Koo. Now, the reason why this book is written is exactly what I've been telling you. Reverend Timothy Toe and Dr. Jeffrey Koo understood that unless it's precept upon precept, line upon line, a little here, a little there, in all these very important beliefs and understanding of the fundamentals of the faith, you will not find excitement, neither will you grow, neither will you be able to see God as He is. So what they did was they spent much energy and effort reading systematic theology books. Uncle Bernie has been reading Hodge previously, and you read it three times, and you're still struggling to understand it, right? The language, uh, yes, definitely very, very um, difficult for the lay people. The theological terms are, are very complex. But we know that theology is for every Christian. Isaiah said that. And it's to our detriment if we neglect it. So what they did was to put effort in putting the most complex doctrines into layman terms that you and I can understand and read it. All this theism, anthropology, soteriology, eschatology, so simply explaining this. To me, this is a classic that every Christian must have. And a secondary school student will read it and understand it, I guarantee you. But although it's written simply, it is by no means, sorry, it is easy reading, it is by no means simple. Those of you who have gone through it, you know the most complex and deep truths. They're not simple, but they're made easy for you to understand. Right? How much is this book? $10. Can you have lunch with that? You can't even have lunch in many places for $10. Why did they keep it at this cost? Because they want everyone. They do not want cost to be a reason where a Christian cannot study theology. Understand that? So this is a wonderful resource. We'll talk about resources more uh, later on. But my point is this. Um, These are the building blocks. You may not believe me. Neither did the, the people in Isaiah times believe Isaiah. But he repeated line upon line. There's no shortcut. With these building blocks, when you do your devotion, you are going to see many things that you do not normally see because now your understanding of God has deepened and you're going to see things that God says 
that you used to only understood it in a very shallow way. You're going to see applications for your life that are different. You're going to be able to draw a lot of things. Those of you who have been going DHW, I hope you see that. Because you take time. All right? So it's a bit like that. Let me just give a quick illustration. How many of you say, I want engineers? Oh, I love bridges. You know? I, I love to look at bridges, actually, really. Bridges, how they're constructed. I like to, like to go in and look at the pillars, look at you know, all how they... Um, keep the bridge up, bridges. Now, someone who loves bridges, who say, oh, I love the excitement of a beautifully constructed bridge and admire it. I want to build a bridge. And then you refuse to go precept upon precept. You refuse to go to school. They are going to teach you geometry. The geometry? Bridges? I don't see the link. Not interested. Skip. Or worse, you don't want to go to primary school. I don't know ABC. I just want to build bridges. What has ABC to do with bridges? That is the, what the apostle is saying, line upon line. There's no shortcut. Milk and meat. The Lord himself described that. You know what is milk? Milk means the mother has already digested the food. Then you take it. Easy for you to digest. But there are going to be those that are meat that is going to really make you strong. Those you must digest yourself. Then you have to find you have to find ways to grow and to understand God's word so that you will feed on meat. Right? So you, you cannot say that I, I want to have all this but not go through all those things. I want, to, I want to program this wonderful software that's going to turn on the lights when I walk into the church and then turn off the lights when I go off, but I'm not going to study a single line of code, line by line. No, I just want to see all these things happen. It will never happen. That will happen every time you go there and say, okay, sit down and write the code. Oh, too difficult. A blank mind. Look at the screen. Don't understand. Uh, no fun anymore. That is exactly our devotion. Do you get my point? <laughs> the reason why our devotion is like that, we don't want to go through that. Only when you put your effort, study, then you are able to divide the word of truth rightly when you divide divide oh you're going to see all the things that god talk about that will excite you and excite your soul okay so now that is one of the key points i wanted to bring across tonight and then we have five minutes each for the golden principles of interpretation all right and then we have to end now there are four key interpretation rules and this is always um, taught very clearly. Um, I've adapted it from um, Dr. Ku. His, his four C's, very useful, very easy to remember. All right. So now you say, all right, I want to study God's Word. Now you have to make sure that you're able to decipher God's Word correctly. Okay? Oh, please pardon me. I do want to say one more thing about languages. Page 4, before I move on to the principles. Languages. Languages. Now, Bible languages. New Testament, Greek, Old Testament, Hebrew. As students, Bible college students must spend at least 700 hours, definitely a lot more than that, on the languages. Now, why? Because the, lang the, or the Bible, when we say the Bible has no error, which Bible are we talking about? The Greek, the original languages, all right? The rest of the Bibles we have in languages, 
Those are translations. All right, those are translations. So when we say the Bible has no error, we are referring to the Textus Receptus for Greek for New Testament, the Masoretic text for the Old Testament. All right. So now, why must the Bible College student have that? Because he is needing to make sure he bring out the fullest sense and the most accurate interpretation of what God wants to say. That is why he must have that. That is why you cannot be a preacher without the Masters of Divinity, because only Masters of Divinity you cover that. Now, why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you all this for this reason. Even after a person graduates with distinctions from Bible College on the languages, there's one thing that he will realize. He know it just on the surface. Year one, he will feel, whoa, I know all this. By the time he graduates, he will feel, oh no, I know so little. All right? What I'm trying to point across is this. There are many tools out there that will have languages for you. Even for a Bible college student, for a Bible college graduate, we have to check and recheck and recheck and check everything. Syntax, grammar, everything. Because it is a language. I cannot apply what I understand of the English language to a Hebrew or Greek language. You understand what I'm saying? So even you read, oh, this word means this, and then you start arguing with people, oh, this word means this. Oh, because there's theological dictionary says this. This Greek word means this. And then you argue and you argue. Be very careful. Little knowledge is very dangerous. Because, so, so, yeah, because you can fall into that. I can fall into that. When I want to quote languages, I make sure I double check. In fact, you know, the one thing that people deny the, um, the preservation of God's word in Psalm chapter 12 because they apply the English grammar to the Hebrew grammar and insist that God is not referring to preserving his words but preserving human beings because of a very simplistic approach to the language. All right, so what I'm trying to inform you is this. And then you say, oh no. Then it goes back to square one. I need to know languages to know God's word accurately. But I don't know because I don't have the privilege or luxury to go to a Bible college and study for years. I don't know. So what am I going to do? Looks like no use. Might as well give up. No. Remember, we always emphasize. Well, Greek and Hebrew is the original, is the 100% accurate Bible. If you don't have that, what can you do? You will have to depend on the language that you understand and the language, and in that language, which Bible is the one that translates most accurately, most faithfully that original language, right? Now, if you have that, then you have a very good chance of knowing God's Word very accurately, actually. Which Bible is that? We know it's the King James Bible. That is why we use the King James Bible, not because we are very sentimental people. We love the Shakespearean language. <laughs> some people accuse us of that. It's amazing. No, it has nothing to do with that. Uh, some people say, oh, you're, you're sentimental because, you know, it's always been a tradition. No. The reason is because the King James Bible is the only Bible on planet Earth today that is based solely upon the Textus Receptus and the Masoretic text. Every other modern versions are not based on this. To receive text, the most accurate, perfectly preserved text. That's why we use it, understand? 
And not only that, the translators, they translate it very accurately and very precisely. I'm going to show you next week how accurately and precisely that they even translate errors. <laughs> are there errors in the Bible? We know there are none, right? That's why I put... If they're, and they're translating, they say, hey, hang on, hang on, this is 42 years old, but this part says 22 years old. You know what the King James translators will do? They will just translate 42. Here, original Hebrew say 42, 42. Original Hebrew in, in here say 22 for the same person. They'll just translate 22. It's accurate. Accurate to that level. They don't try and change it for you. So you read other versions, you'll find that the translators, hmm, 42, 22, 42, 22, you need my name anymore. I feel that it should be 22. Let's change both to 22. Can you do that? You can't. And we'll study that passage and then come to the understanding why one was 42, one was 22. God never makes any mistake. God preserved means God said that was 42, please, it is 42. Alright, so it's a very accurate and that's why it's faithful. It's faithful. It doesn't paraphrase or change anything. It's faithful. So faithful translation, that's why that is a very good book. Then the Chinese people say, oh no, but mine I, don't, I can't read. KJV very well. You have CUV, so you use CUV. CUV in your language, in Mandarin, is the most accurate translation you can have. But you know what's the advantage for you? When you look at the CUV, it doesn't sound right, what can you do? You can read English, right? You can compare it with the English, because English is the next most accurate, the King James version is the next most accurate for you, right? That's the big advantage for you. Okay, so now, that is something that I want to make sure we understand because I do not want people to have this misunderstanding that if you don't know languages, then therefore you cannot interpret God's word. Okay, so now, golden principles. Principle number one. Observe the principle carefully because next week we will use it for practice. Now, the first C, there are four Cs. First C is comparison. Scripture interprets scripture. Always remember this. Scripture interprets scripture. Whenever there is something that is at doubt, the best commentary of scripture is scripture itself. In other words, you read this. Then you say, I don't understand. How do I find the understanding? Go and ask people. No. First thing you do is try and find what does other parts of scripture say about this. Okay, scripture interprets scripture. Now, Westminster Confession of Faith, very good rule. The infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture, page 4 at the bottom, is Scripture itself. And therefore, when there is a question about the true and full sense of any Scripture, which is not manifold, but one, it must be searched and known by other places that speak more clearly. Now, let me ask you. Repent and be baptized, and you shall be saved. <laughs> Something like that. So, the person said, Repent and must have baptism. Without baptism, you cannot be saved. See, it's in scriptures. How can you deny scriptures? You repent, you also must be baptized. You don't baptize, you just repent, you can't be saved. So how do you, how do you come to a conclusion? Scripture interprets scripture. You're going to search other parts of scripture that are clear, and then you compare. God says that the baptism cannot save. Cannot save. It is just an external profession of our faith. They say, this part scripture say this, this part scripture say this, then you know how to compare. Okay, so scripture interprets scriptures. Number 
Next page, page five. Okay. Now, in fact, I'll give you an example. So, just now I told you I'll give you an example, right? Scripture, interpreting scripture. Because the person asked this, so I must answer. The person asked, so in Numbers chapter 20, let's turn to Numbers chapter 20. Okay, verse 9, let me read to you. And Moses, Numbers 20, verse 9, And Moses took the rod from him before the Lord, as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of the rock. And Moses lifted up his hand with his rod, and he smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And then verse 12, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this people, this congregation, into the land which I have given them. Okay? So the person asks, how do I interpret this? You know, what, what is this all about? What is this striking the rock twice? Now, how do I know um, why God is angry with, this, with Moses? Now, this is a very common interpretation. The interpretation that is commonly said is this. Moses should have struck the rock once, right? God say, no, God say, speak to the rock, right? But Moses struck the rock twice, right? And most interpreters will say this, the, the reason why God was angry at Moses, listen carefully, the reason why God is angry at Moses and refused to let him into the promised land is because he struck the rock twice, meaning the rock is Christ and Christ should only die once. Hmm? struck only once, once for all. But Moses struck Christ, which is the rock, twice. So that is wrong of him. The rock, should only, the rock which is Christ, should only be struck once. Hmm? You heard of the interpretation? No. Okay, that's the most common interpretation, in fact. Okay? That's the most common interpretation. So how? How to understand this passage? Now, what is Scripture interpret Scripture? means God is the best explainer of his word, right? So now I ask you, why was God angry at Moses? Where is it found? Verse what? Verse 12, right? It's like bright as daylight. And the Lord spake unto Moses. Some of the Lord said, I, I told Moses this. Because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. See, God said it. Because you did not sanctify me. You did not sanctify me means you did not set me apart in people's eyes. You publicly and openly disobeyed me. I say, speak, you strike. You disobeyed me and you make me look like a fool in front of the people. You did not sanctify me means you did not uphold me. Means I say this, you do this. Instead, you make a fool out of me. You did not sanctify me. You did. You, you struck instead of you spoke. Understand that? It's scripture, interpreting scripture. Scripture tells us that. Where in here does it say because he was struck twice? It's because people's fertile imagination. It means every time you see a rock, is Christ. Is it true or not? Every time you read the Bible, rock who? Christ. Every time you, that's very common, we'll see next week as well. You see, you read the word water, refers to what? Holy Spirit. Oil, Holy Spirit. Every time water, hol, water, oil, fire, Holy Spirit. Straight away. You know, rock, oh, Christ. 
rock struck twice, Christ cannot be struck twice. It is not for us to interpret as we wish. It's very clear that immediately the next verse, the Lord explained. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron. He explained to them why he was angry. Alright, so that's an example of scripture, interpreting scripture when you're not clear. Don't just listen to people. B, common sense, quickly, common sense. When the plain sense of scripture, the plain sense of scripture makes common sense or good sense seek no other sense. You hear this often, right? When, when the plain sense makes common sense seek no other sense. In other words, take God's word literally. If God's word say, a virgin shall conceive, then a virgin shall conceive. Right? Very straightforward. But, now take God's word literally, instead of allegorizing and spiritualizing. Don't allegorize and spiritualize. We'll explain what that means next week. What is allegorizing? God says this, but you will put a lot of spin around it. Alright? We'll give you examples next week. Now, but remember, do recognize there are figures of speech versus literal sense. We will also study that. Figure of speech. Christ said what? I am the bread. Is Christ a piece of bread? Alright? I'm the vine. Is Christ a plant? No, that is the figure of speech. How do you identify figures of speech? Then there is, you are the light of the world. Are we photon emitters? No, right? So you are light of the world. So there are the literal sense, and we've studied how to identify those. So common sense, when it's very simple and direct, people allegorize until it's, it's uh, very, very flowery. Okay, very flowery. As I always I'll use the example, they nail the the pack of the tent of the tabernacle to the ground, they say the pack is Christ. So how do you read that? You say simply they nail the pack to the ground. That's all. They're just setting up the tent. God just showing that they obediently follow him. No, no, no. The pack is, the, is Christ. How do you, why do you say that? Because half the pack is above the ground, half the pack is under the ground. So that is Christ. He is in heaven as well as on earth. So the pack is Christ. You know, that's allegorizing. All right? So all these examples, we cannot do that cannot do that. This is not what God simply, God simply says they build the tabernacle. That's all. They build the tabernacle. So the tabernacle can be preached for years, you know, for you to allegorize. It just depends how fertile your imagination is and how creative you are. I'm going to give you some examples from Acts next week. Hmm? And then we see, because those are also very commonly um, misinterpreted scriptures. Now, why do I want to point this out? I keep reminding you there is a reason. And I want you to think about that reason. It is not to make fun of people. When we do not handle God's word properly, there is a very significant impact to Christianity. Think about it, what it is. Next, all right, context. I always emphasize this context. Context refers to the verses before and after the verse in question. Okay, there are historical, literary contexts. There are words and verses that must be interpreted in the light of context. Failing to do so result in making scriptures mean what it does not mean. So, for example, the context of when two or three are gathered in my name, I shall be in the midst of them. Many of us pray that, we believe that, what? Christ say, don't worry, as long as you're gathered, I'm with you. Right? Most of us interpret that. But those of you who have been studying God's word diligently, you know that is not what it means. What was the context? Go back and read. All right? Because next week we're going to cover that. Go and read. Because it's the most common one. Every time we have prayer meeting, many of us will pray. May God, you have promised when two or three are gathered in my name. After you know, you know the context, you're not going to pray that. <laughs> I guarantee you. Okay, so context. Read the whole thing. 
and then see what it means. Don't go into popular theology. Popular theology means everybody say that, that is what the verse means, then I just say that. Hmm? That's popular theology. In fact, next week I will bring a hermeneutics book and I'll read to you um, some areas in there which actually teaches this. When you read a passage, even though it doesn't mean that, but if God speaks to you that way, it's okay, good for you. It's achieved his purpose. Do you agree with that statement? Okay, it's, it's, it's from a certain philosophy in the world. I repeat, if you read a passage of scripture, in other words, you, you read when two or three gather in my name, irregardless what Christ meant when he said that, what's the meaning? In fact, scripture has only one meaning, but many applications, all right? We emphasize that only one meaning, many applications. So if Christ meant that, and you said, no, Christ did not mean that, but somehow when I read this, it means this to me. Well, good for you. Can we live like that? We cannot. Okay, so context, very important. Context. Consistency. Lastly, scriptures never contradict scripture. Scripture have only one meaning, but many applications. As I've said that, God never contradicts himself. Now, what is the consistency we need to abide by? Point number five, number four. Doctrine and theology are the boundary markers we must keep within. In other words, they guide our thinking. Doctrine and theology. That's why doctrines and theology are very important. What are doctrines and theology? Now, you read the Bible, one part of the Bible, and then it seems to say this. But when it contradicts doctrine and theology, the overall doctrine that, and theology that is taught across the Bible, then you must say that your interpretation is wrong as long as it as contradicts that. For example, if you say that, you take a verse and it says, um, um, we must make sure that we keep living a life that is righteous or else we are not saved. Hmm? You read that. You seem to say that. We'll, come, we'll do some of these examples next week. And, but you know the overall theology in the Bible is very clear. We are saved not by works, but by grace. But you can take one verse out, and that's what the, the cults do. They take one verse out and they keep arguing with you. But you see, here it says, here it says this. Here it says, Christ said that the Father, the Father is greater than me. Right? Christ said that in John, the Father is greater than I. See, the Muslims will say, your Jesus Christ himself said that he is not God. God, there is a God that is greater than him. If there is someone greater than him, then therefore he cannot be God. Then Jesus Christ is not God. If Jesus Christ is not God, means what? We have no salvation. He's a human that died for us, no use. Right? There's a serious theological problem. But you know that other parts of scriptures are very clear. Jesus is God, right? Then you now must know that scripture never contradict one another and you have to find the answer. There is an explanation to what Jesus says. My father is greater than I. Why did Jesus say that? What does it mean? My father is greater than I? That is where the doctrine of what comes in. Trinity. 
doctrine of Trinity. Always study doctrine of Trinity. What's the point? But when you study doctrine of Trinity, the moment a Muslim or someone tells you that, oh, the doctrine of Trinity will all kick in, right? Immediately you have the answer. Because theology, doctrine, that verse cannot contradict that. Because God has taught the overall theology of Trinity. Trinity, as we understand from the Bible, they are equal in what? Essence. Right? Equal in essence, but they have different what? Functions. Different roles. Different roles. Different roles does not mean inferior. When Christ said the Father is greater than I, He that sent me is greater than I. My Father is greater than I. He's talking about their what role? Functional role. God the Father sends me. I am the Son. I obey. Even within the Trinity, there is function. Doesn't mean he is any less, right? Because we know in Philippians, he claimed, I'm no lesser than God, right? So remember, it does not contradict. So, are doctrines important? Very important when you read, when you study God's word. So, consistency, consistency. Whenever you find something contradicting, is God wrong? Never, right? Let all men be what? Liars and God be true. Romans, let God be true and all men liars. God is always right. But then you say, no, no, but I think there is an error in the Bible. We studied right in the beginning, there's no error in the Bible because God preserved. If God preserved, means no error, right? So no error plus God is perfect. He does not contradict himself. Means every time we read the Bible, when we don't understand who's at fault, the reader is at fault. One day we will understand. You see some of those cases, many in history. See, the Bible has error. The Bible has error. Christians themselves stand up and say, what's wrong with you? I can prove to you the Bible has error. Let me see if I can pull out that video, actually. Let me prove to you the Bible has error. A Christian saying that. What's wrong with you? Can't you see these two numbers are different? Always know. Because of that principle, God never contradicts himself. He preserves his word. Therefore, it's always us who have not understood it yet. All right? So when you do your devotion, when you read, you don't understand. And you see, there seems to be error. You pray and ask God, God, help me to understand. Don't say, God, I think there's an error here. No, God, should I correct it with my pen? Okay, next. All right, so, so I think that is all that I want to cover tonight. Point number four just summarizes everything that we have mentioned. Okay, so now, please, there are only two things I want you to take away tonight. Number one, you want your, your Bible studying to be exciting? Remember the verse. Study to show thyself. That word study is effort. Unless you do that, you cannot rightly divide the Word of God with joy and excitement. You cannot understand it, in other words. It will be boring to you. That is the first thing I want you to remember. What's the second thing? The second thing are the four principles. Four C. Can we just recite it? Because next week we'll run through it and we'll do case studies. First C. Comparison. Scripture interprets scripture. Second C, context. Very important. Don't take things out of context. Third C, cons consistency. Right? It will always be consistent. We've got other parts of scriptures and theology and doctrine. Fourth C, say again. Very good. All right? Common sense. When it is directly explained already, just take it. All right, don't spiritualize and allegorize. So next week, what we're going to do, as I've mentioned, we are going to break it down to actually practicing, looking at specific scriptures 
but also to study how did all this come about. Don't play a fool with God's word by allegorizing and spiritualizing. We want to study how it got into Christianity. It didn't used to be like that. The apostles did not interpret scriptures like that. All right, so let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for giving us your holy scriptures. It is something that we can trust with our lives. Never will it ever have a mistake or never ever will it fail us. Lord, it is the only thing we can truly depend upon and not fear and not doubt. Lord, what blessedness to be able to study your word. We pray, Lord, that you help us to be good students. We will put effort into studying all this, even as we look at how to increase our knowledge in theology, in doctrines. Next week, we'll study and evaluate tools. Lord, we pray that you prepare our hearts. Dismiss us with your richest blessing tonight. We thank you for those that have come. May this benefit our souls. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.